Hmm? Yeah. All right. Well, good afternoon. My name is Liz Daly. I am a nurse um, in Los Angeles, California. I work at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles in a like super high-tech pediatric cardiac environment, uh, which this talk is not about. Um, so my love for missions came from going on several trips to help uh, hospitals that did cardiac care in um, other countries really improve their care. And then from that, I actually got involved in some evidence-based practice projects with hospitals in low- and middle-income countries that had nothing to do with cardiac. And I'll talk a little bit more about that as, as we go on. But um, hopefully you are here to learn about nurse leadership in low- and middle-income countries, because that is what I'm talking about. The room numbers are a little bit confusing. So again, if that's not what you're here for, I won't be offended. <laughs> All right, so I have no disclosures. I am on the board of directors of a group in Malawi. It is not a financial position. Before we really start, I want you guys to think about what you think of as leadership. And when you talk about leadership, I think sometimes trying to define it seems like a funny thing to think about because, like, everybody knows what leadership is. Everybody knows what a leader is. But when you actually try to put a definition on leadership and what you expect from leadership, it becomes a little bit more problematic and harder to define than you than you necessarily think. And if we're going to work towards developing leaders, it's really good to have a definition of what you actually are looking for. So after some research and a lot of Google search, this is what I came up with as sort of my favorite of what is out there of a generic leadership statement. So leadership is the ability of an individual to influence and guide other members of an organization towards a specific goal. So it's a personal thing, right? It's you and me, we're, we're doing something together. One of us has some influence over the other and towards a goal that we want to have happen. I would argue that it doesn't necessarily have to be an individual. It could be a group of people, right? You could have a group or an institution being leaders. Um, this definition of nursing leadership in particular comes from, I think it's bleach, and Okay, leadership in the nursing profession is a process engaged, a process of engaged decision making linked with actions taken in the face of complex, uncharted, or perilous circumstances present in clinical situations for which no standardized solution exists. All right, I know nurses are out there to save the world, but this is a lot of pressure. This is like solving a pandemic in my mind when sometimes what I need is a family to donate blood before somebody before one of their loved ones has surgery. So I while I appreciate the the emphasis on this, I think that this is a little bit overwhelming as a leadership goal, as a leadership definition goal. So Miles and Scott came up with this definition. Leadership in nursing is a social and relational process of positive, I like the fact that they put in positive, positive influence and engaged decision making linked to actions and attitudes that benefit nursing, your patients, and the healthcare environment. So this is going to be our working model for today because we want it to be a positive influence. I think we all know that leadership is actually not always positive, but that's what we're aiming for. And we're going to aim for this leadership with nursing 
patients, and healthcare. Okay, so then who is a leader? Again, in your minds, as soon as you say leader, some image pops into your mind. But who is a leader and who can be a leader? So Kevin Cruz says, leadership has nothing to do with seniority or one's position in the hierarchy of a company. Leadership does not automatically happen when you reach a certain pay grade. And I see some smiles out there because you're all thinking of that leader that you had or that manager that you had was at, who was actually not, not a phenomenal leader in the workplace. John Maxwell says leadership is not about titles or positions or flowcharts. It's about influencing another person. And then remember, we're aiming for the positive influencing of each other. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this article from Mianda and Voss. Clinical leadership, it's a nursing-specific um, article. Clinical leadership can be, a sh can be a shared responsibility performed by every competent frontline healthcare provider regardless of their position within the healthcare system. And that's what I am aiming for. That's what this talk is about, is that you don't have to be a nurse manager. You don't have to be a charge nurse. You don't have to be the CNO um, or the president of a nursing association to be a nurse leader. We're aiming for how do we equip the bedside nurses, the frontline nurses, to become leaders in, within the positions that they're in. Okay, so why am I talking about nurses? Can I just ask, how many of you are nurses? All right, almost everybody is a nurse. So why am I talking about nurses? I am a nurse. Um, work with what you know. I know nursing well. I'm not the youngest person, so I've been doing this for quite a while. But really what happened to me is as I started going on some trips, um, as I said, I started, I, I'm a I was a cardiac ICU nurse for a very long time, and as I started going on trips to other countries to help them improve their outcomes, one of the things that really resounded to me was that the nurses that I was working with at the bedside had great ideas of how they could improve their programs, and nobody would listen to them, right? They have no voice. There's no stepping stone for them to get that up higher. So who is making the decision? You know, hospital administrators, some nurse leaders, nurse managers, a lot of times it's the physicians driving things. And it really um, made me very grateful for the hospital system that I work in, which I will say, this is probably true across the U.S. too. The hospital that I work for is an academic affiliated institution. We are a magnet. So like they put everything into place to give nurses um, the steps. And even then, my coworkers will complain about a bunch of stuff, but they just haven't worked other places. They don't know. They don't realize how good we have it. Um, but so I really thought to myself, this is, a, this is a big problem in that the nurses that see the problem and care for the patients don't have any way. There's no leadership opportunities for them to bring up issues. Since you are almost nurses, this is not going to be surprising to you. The World Health Organization from 2020 says that 50% of the healthcare workforce is nurses and that nurses do most of the hands-on care, right? I think everybody probably thinks that about nurses. Official leaders, official nurse leaders are often removed from patient care and do not understand the conditions and the issues faced by frontline nursing staff. Leadership does not need to occur through official management leaders. Leaders, rather, can arise from any level of nursing practice. So that is what part of the research shows. Anybody can be a leader. 
the Institute of Medicine report from the future of nursing, which is from 2011, so it is 11 years old, and I want you to think about that. All nurses must be leaders in the design, implementation, evaluation of, and advocacy for ongoing reform. So it's been 11 years since that was written, and I would argue that probably not a lot has changed in those 11 years, unfortunately. And then back to this Mianda and Voss article, they concluded, and I'm going to talk about their article a little bit more, but they, they, their conclusion was that clinical nurses, the hands-on bedside frontline nurses, are the ones to identify work inefficiencies, motivate other healthcare team members, and to lead change processes to, develop, to deliver optimal care. So those are the people that we want to, that we want to empower. Um, and then overall, research shows that encouraging the development of nurse leaders, clinical nurse leaders, in low and income countries has the opportunity to bridge the healthcare gap, to increase patient safety, and to decrease mortality. Um, it also bridges the gender gap in a lot of countries, which is not really what this talk is about, but because if you give women leadership at work, then it sort of overflows to the rest of their lives. You can't put it back in the box. And so really helping gender inequality um, since most, most nurses are women. Okay, so I was doing this as a master's thesis project, and um, I wanted to research what what was available for nurses. So this Mianda and Voss study that I've talked about a couple of times, they have this very wordy title, but they were looking at clinical leadership opportunities um, for nurses, for frontline nurses. And they are based out of South Africa and they were driven by poor maternal uh, health outcomes. And basically what they found is that bottom paragraph there is that uh, frontline leadership happens in high-income countries and doesn't really happen in low-income countries. So I took this as my sort of starting point, and I looked at almost the reverse question, was that, which was, in low- and middle-income countries, what leadership is available? So what is available to nurses in other countries? If any of you really care, so this is for the science part of it. If any of you really care, I'm happy to send you my flow diagram or talk to you about it afterwards. I am not going to walk through it. Uh, it ended up only having 12 studies. I looked at a 10-year span. There were really only 10 studies that got pulled into this, this literature review. So what is being done? Um, academic programs were in five of them. That is I think a common thing to think of when you're thinking of leadership. And if you Google nursing leadership right now, your Facebook account or Instagram will forever be hacked with every single school in America and probably some international ones sending you information about their nurse leadership program. But academic programs were a big part of what happened. Four of them had classroom components. Three had online. I know that math doesn't work out because several were combo programs. Two had fellowship, three had fellowship placements after the academic portion, and two used paired mentorship after the academic program. The other thing that was widely used was conferences. So here we all are at a conference learning about things that interest us, international conferences and um, local conferences also. One of the articles discussed using volunteer healthcare trainers to come into the facility and do leadership training. And then one 
group had a guide, had a published guidelines that they would give. They were widely available if you wanted to start your own leadership program. Okay, so what are the good and the bad about these different programs? Academic programs, probably the gold standard, um, hopefully high quality. You have structured leadership curriculum. The people are going to learn theory, so if you're a theory person, you're, you know, that's great. You're all about having academic programs so that everybody can learn the leadership theory. Um, and the great thing about academic programs is that if you are going to advance in the nursing field, in low- and middle-income countries, just as in the United States, oftentimes you need that degree to make it to the next step. So if you want to move to something higher up, oftentimes you need that degree to qualify for a position. All right. But the problems with academic. So high financial costs, right? I know in the U.S. certainly it's high, but in low, low and middle-income countries, academic programs are still out of reach for a lot of nurses. Uh, there's a long time commitment. Often, if you, often they require an advanced degree. These programs require an advanced degree to be able to get into it. I, it's not uncommon, right? If you need a master's degree, if you want a master's degree, you need a bachelor's degree. But bachelor's degrees are not the starting point of nurses in a lot of low and middle income countries. So having a degree requirement makes a lot of these less accessible. Language issues. Uh, a lot of countries do not speak English, French, or Spanish as their main language, and that's what a lot of education programs are based in. But there certainly are education programs in many other languages. You may have to move because if you're going to in-classroom cl classes, you can't necessarily stay in your rural hospital that you're working. Completion rates are low due to all of those issues. And one of the biggest problems with academic programs, sole academic programs, is that you get all this great theory, you get all this great learning, but if it doesn't have a hands-on practical training, then you get into the workplace and you've learned all these wonderful things that you should be able to do, and then you're frustrated because actually your hospital isn't supporting that, and you don't have any steps to address the fact that, that now you're just frustrated because you can't actually put into use what you've learned. Online programs follow the academic programs a little bit because most of the online programs were based with an academic program. So you can reach a wider audience than you can if you have to be in person. Um, it can be asynchronous. So, you know, nurses' schedules are crazy. You cannot say that you necessarily have every Tuesday off. Um, so asynchronous programs can be really helpful to, to nurses. And you have access to really high-quality programs that are online because a lot of very good schools do offer programs that are online and available, no matter where you are in the world. Again, the downsides are, when you think of low- and middle-income countries, what are the problems with online, if, it, if you've ever worked in one, right? So, first of all, you need a computer or a tablet or a phone. I have seen students in, in Malawi doing work on their smartphone, and all I could think is there is no way I could tape any sort of paper into my smartphone. There's just, like, I, I would give up in frustration of trying to use that keyboard. But they do it. So, um, but it's still out of reach of a lot of nurses. You need electricity or solar or some sort of charging system. Uh, you need internet that is at least consistent, it doesn't need to be 24 hours a day, but you need to know when it's going to be on so that you can go and download the information or upload your papers. So you need to have a consistent 
internet access. Um, and even within that, you still may not be able to access all of the course materials that, that are expected to be accessed. And I just want to say, while I think the quality can be really good online, I think you have to be wary because there are also a lot of online programs that maybe don't have the best quality, and it's hard to know that until you're further into a program, and it can also be really hard to know that if you are coming from a lower middle income country, because you don't necessarily know what to look for when you're signing up for an online program. I think Americans fall into that too, but I think it's even harder if you just think, I sign up for this and it's going to be a good program. Fellowships and mentorships. So several of the academic programs then had paired, whether they called them fellowships or mentorships, um, fellowships you were actually in person with somebody else and mentorship, like you were doing your thing, but you had a mentor that you could talk to. The great thing about having somebody like that or a program like that is it gives you, when you're hit with, I was taught how to do this at school, but it's not working in my workplace, what do I do next? You have somebody who has hopefully been through a similar situation or at least has some experience managing that that can help you navigate what are some things that you can try. Um, and you have somebody there just as your cheerleader, right? You have somebody there to encourage you and be like, you can do this. You can keep on trying. You might have been told no six times, but that seventh could be the one that somebody says yes to you. The problems, financial costs for, and time costs for both people. So, you, you know, you're working, you're trying to put into place some new things, and then you also have to agree and have time to meet with a mentor and to talk with a mentor while balancing the rest of your life. And also... If you have a great mentor, it's great. If you don't have a great mentor, then it may not be as great. Conferences. So international conferences. Here we all are, all are at a conference. Um, I guess this qualifies as an international conference because I do know people came here from overseas. So conferences are great if you can get to them. You have access to subject matter experts. You can tailor what you want to attend when you're attending the conference you get to pick. I went to the one on fevers. It was very interesting for the last session. Um, I don't know if it's being repeated. Um, but you can choose what you want to do within a, a, a conference tract. Uh, conferences can attract larger audiences than a classroom-based that might only have you know 20 to 50 people, so you can have a large conference. And it gives you the opportunity to make connections. So here we all are. You know, you can meet people and hear similar situations and follow up with people afterwards. But again, a large international conference for low- and middle-income countries, really difficult for the average person to get to. Um, hard for them to get the cost. Hard for them to get a visa. Hard to do follow-up afterwards. And... The other problem is that any organization can only send so many people. So in my new role at the hospital, I'm one of three people. We're on call 24 hours a day. Obviously, all three of us cannot be at a conference at the same time, right? So somebody has to stay back. So with any hospital situation, uh, only so many people can leave, or a clinic or a rural health anything. Like, only so many people can leave a job at one, at one time. So local conferences might help that a little bit better. You still can't leave an entire ward unstaffed while everybody attends a conference, but potentially people could switch off days. Um, again, it can be tailored to your, it can be tailored to the participants 
desires, but also a local conference can be more tailored to issues in that area, issues that um, you know a specific country is trying to change or a specific city is trying to work on with different hospitals and their nursing associations. Um, it builds sustainability when it's local because it's just easier for people to get to and easier to plan the next year's conference. And you can include, I said here, uh, political leaders, but you can include the people that may have, may hold may hold more power over changes in your environment. You might not be able to get them to go to an international conference, but if you hold the conference there and you have the, you know, the health minister come and see all these amazing nurses trying to learn things, it might really encourage them to give nurses more voice. If you are trying to plan a conference for a local area, if you're the U.S. partner helping somebody plan, it's really hard to plan long-distance conferences. And you have to be very careful with cultural expectations of other countries and what they expect. I'm going to tell you, if you're planning one in Malawi, Right now would be tea time. Like, that is what you do in the afternoon. Everything stops. You go have your tea, maybe a cookie, but definitely your tea, and then we could come back and do this. Um, and you have to balance the availability of subject matter experts because you don't want to plan a local conference and then fly in everybody from Europe and America to be the subject matter experts. But finding experts in a country can be a difficult thing. I'm sure they're there, but... Finding them. That's where you really have to use your partners to figure out who they want to speak there. Um, what I really like about the local conferences is the opportunity for it to really you working with a partner and then have it switch. And sooner or later, the partner should be able to hopefully put on a conference, maybe with some financial help from your organization, but be able to put something on that they have really tailored what they want to talk about, what they need to hear, what, who they want to have come. They should be able, you know, the power should be able to switch to more, being more locally sustainable. I'm going to talk about the conferences a little bit because I think that they all bring a slightly different take on the training that was done and it's just something for us all to learn from. So the International Council of Nurses runs two types of conferences. They run the Global Nursing Leadership Institute, which came up because it's a nursing leadership thing, and they do pull from low- and middle-income countries, but they pick the top they pick the 30 top nurses in the world to attend their conference every year. So I don't know how you decide who is the 30 top. I'm, I am not one of them. Um, but... So that's not really the frontline workers, right? Like it's the, it's the chief nursing executive for a country or the president of a nursing association. Um, but they bring them. What they do that's very nice is the high-income country attendees pay sort of a surcharge to offset the cost for low-income countries. So they do help them attend. International Council of Nurses also has the Leadership for a Change, which was – started as conferences in countries, but they had problem with local accountability. They had problem getting people to attend locally. So it became a guideline where, not a guideline, a, a process where you would send people to a Leadership for a Change conference somewhere, and they would then attend a train-the-trainer session to, to bring back to their home country how to put it on in their country. 
it's a better method, right? It's not just the top 30 nurses. So, but there, ha- but you still are probably sending somebody internationally to get trained to bring it back to your location. The Korean Nurse Association put on a global nursing leadership program where they specifically had a leadership track built into their program for low and middle income countries. And this was an amazing article to read because they covered all of the costs associated with it. They covered the visa costs. They had visa help. They covered the travel costs for the people attending. They covered food and housing and transportation. Every cost was covered. And they, it was really billed for the nurse leader of the country, but they also had what they called the next generation nurse. So every country that sent a nurse leader also could send another nurse. Now, that was probably not, you know, a clinical nurse working at the bedside at a local hospital was probably a mid-level nurse, but at least they were thinking about the fact that they were going to invite not just the top nurse, but also somebody else who could learn and carry it on. Um, The program was a success. If you're going to try this, the two things that they struggled with was appropriate translation for all of the countries that they got people to come from. And then they actually had a lot of food complaints, which I thought was funny that they included in their research article that food needs to be addressed because when you have people coming globally to Korea, they could not meet the food needs of everybody that was there. And I just thought that was a funny takeaway. Um, And then the Center for Global Nursing Development, which is uh, part of the Medical Benevolence Foundation here in the U.S., has worked – they have partner hospitals and nursing schools uh, in a couple of different countries. And they've worked with Malawi and Haiti and Kenya to put on local conferences, um, sort of having their nursing schools and their hospitals pick what programs they want, and then they help – build the structure correctly around it. I know that they did Malawi once and Haiti once. I think the pandemic has hurt that. I think they're on their third one of Kenya, and I think it is becoming fairly sustainable. I think this next one that is being planned will be mostly Kenyan-driven. They are here at at the conference, so I, I, I don't know if they actually have a table in the thing, if you want to talk to them more. All right. One of the articles talked about this interesting group, which was a bunch of nurses at a conference. And then after the leadership development talk, some of them were probably eating lunch or whatever. It doesn't say how they got together, but they got together and they decided that they were going to continue in their own mentoring group. So they set up a networking covering six countries across 16 time zones, and they all just agreed that they were going to meet for the next year. They were going to talk about leadership issues, things that they were facing in their workplace, articles that they read and then shared with each other. It was such a success that um, Sigma Theta Tau, which you probably know is the Nursing Honor Society, actually took that and developed it into um, mentoring for global leadership. And now if you go to the Sigma Theta Tau website, it's a it's now one of their programs. So you can sign up for this mentoring program through this leadership mentoring program. Um, it is online and they have, they set up cohorts and you have small group cohorts. I have not done the program myself, but um, it has turned into, a, it turned into a real program, but I would also argue that, you know, 
we could do that here today if we wanted to, right? Like people that you meet at a conference and then you decide to stay in touch with and share knowledge with can happen anytime. All right. Volunteer exchange. One of the programs used healthcare volunteers to come. The hospital was based in Cambodia, and they used volunteers specifically from the United States. They had a Cambodian educator who decided what they wanted, who, what topics they wanted taught, and then they had a U.S. link who would people would apply, and together the U.S. link and the Cambodian educator would decide if that person meets their needs. So they would have these people come over. It was all leadership-centered. It wasn't, I need somebody to teach chest tubes or I need somebody to teach pediatrics. It was a leadership thing. Um, so a lot of dedication if you're going de- to volunteer to go to Cambodia. They tailored it to specific fields. And again, it's, it was supposed to promote sustainability in that the people were not staying there for significantly long times. Um, but they used 40 volunteers in a one-year period, and I would just worry from that that, you know, if the, you invite Liz Daly one week, but you invite, I don't know your name, but you next week, like, we haven't talked to each other at all. You, we could be giving you completely different advice on leadership qualities and le- how to build a leadership program. There was also no training for the volunteers going to Cambodia on cultural differences. So I think one of the things we really have to be care- careful of is when we're working with other countries is, you know, we are not. The U.S. is not the center of everything. And therefore, you really need to know what the cultures are and what those nurses – I would say that it easily would take you more than a week to understand what the nurses – in Cambodia were dealing with as far as leadership issues before you appeared there to try to give them on advice to, on how to try to build or change a program. There was also no follow-up. They just moved one person in and moved the next person out. This article that claimed that it was very good was also written from the U.S. side of things, and I would love to get the Cambodian side of things, though they continued to do the program, so... I I don't know. It didn't say that there was funding or anything attached to it. The people that were traveling from the U.S. paid their own way, paid their own housing. You know, the Cambodians just welcomed them and gave them the opportunity to teach. But I do – I would love to hear the Cambodian hospital side of things. And then the last thing is guidelines. And I think guidelines have a very specific place in developing nursing leadership. So – Guidelines are great because you can use best practices and you can share them easily. Google Docs, you make your own website, whatever you want to do to to set up um, so that people can get your guidelines. Then the country that's using them can really tailor them. This will work for us. This will not work for us. This is great. Are you crazy? That would never happen here type thing. Um, And they get more local ownership into programs. It's also a great starting place, right? If you have no idea what to do, having somebody give you a like checklist of this is how to develop nursing leadership is a great place to start. But the problem with guidelines is exactly that. They're guidelines. So once again, no cultural differences because these were done by the Nursing Now campaign out of the UK. So it was no difference if they were dealing with Malawi or Haiti or Cambodia because you got these guidelines. And with no funding and no hands-on components, I just think, I think it's a great starting place, but I don't think that it's really enough to carry, carry people through.
the research showed a little bit of a copy of what Mianda and Voss found, which is who's being targeted from low and middle income countries. Five of the studies were talked about programs that specifically designed mid to high level nurse countrywide nurse leaders. All right, that's not your that's not your frontline clinical staff. Um, for one of them, a master's degree was required before you got into the program, and this was not a PhD program. It was just a, it was an academic mentorship program. Um, and then bachelor's degrees were required for two of the programs. Four, so things like local conferences and guidelines, obviously leave it up to the, the local government and the local agency to decide who's going to attend. But what was sort of, um, you know, up front and center was that no programs actually specifically were talking about how do you equip your frontline bedside nurses. And I think if you've worked in a lot of, in, if you've worked in low and middle income countries, you almost get that sense. Like nobody's, nobody's equipping these nurses to be leaders. Nobody's equipping them. A lot of these are very patriarchal. Not every, I get that I'm talking in wide generalities here, but a lot of them are very patriarchal, physician-driven hospitals. The nurses are not necessarily encouraged to step up and show leadership. So why does this need to change? Well, clinical nurses, as it was shown, can be the first one to see the needs that need to change. Um, they see it, they work with it daily, and oftentimes they have very good problem-solving skills, but they can't get any traction with what needs to be done. Globally, nursing is now competing with other professions, right? I mean, everywhere across the world, more professions are open, women are breaking more ceilings, and gone are these Florence Nightingale days of nurses, like people going into nurses because they want to take care of sick people and really save the world and do good things. I'm not saying that we don't want to do that. I actually think that's a driving force for a lot of nurses, but it's not enough for nurses. It's not enough for nurses in the United States, and it's actually not enough for nurses in any country. Like, that's not, that's not enough to sustain people anymore. So they want to see career progression, and they want to see growth possibilities in their future. You know, you're a 20-year-old nurse, 20-year-old thinking of becoming a nurse. You, you want to know that there's going to be some possibilities to, to do other things. Um, therefore, we have to have that to, to maintain, to, to recruit nurses and to also retain nurses. And I think in lower middle-income countries, it becomes an issue, too, the the UK, everywhere is facing, right? There's like a, a six million nurse shortage or something across the world right now. I forget the statistic. Anyway, there's a, if you don't know, there's a nursing shortage. You can go anywhere and get a job as a nurse pretty much. Um, the UK announced that they were going to help their shortage by hiring 12,000 international nurses to come and work in the UK. All right. I'm glad that's going to help the UK they're probably not coming from the U.S. They're probably being pulled out of low- and middle-income countries, right? We hear all of the time about the brain drain. Now, I also don't want to demonize by any means a young, or old for that matter, a nurse in a country who says, I can go and make a good living in the U.K. I will have better job opportunities. I will probably have better working conditions, and I will be able to help my family because what I make in the UK is better than what I can make here. I don't fault anybody for making those life choices, but I do think it puts pressure on the health systems in low- and middle-income countries that 
you don't want to always be losing your best and brightest. So you better be giving them some way to grow in the job that they have so that maybe they, because you're not going to be able to compete with pay. So at least maybe you can give them some job satisfaction to keep them happy in the job that they're in. Okay. I want to talk quickly about a couple limitations of my study because I realize that when you do a literature search, there are some barriers to it. So first of all, I know that there are leadership things going on that did not get pulled into my search. I did a literature search, so you would have had to publish what you're doing for me to know about it, and that doesn't happen. If you went to Dr. Lee's talk on medical education, he has a great slide that I'm going to find um, about how much publication comes from low- and middle-income countries, and it's like none, right? They don't publish. They don't have time to publish. They don't have the access to journals to publish. They don't have access to academic institutions to help them publish. Um, so even if there are great programs, we just might not know about them. Uh, the other thing is when you do limitations with your search criteria, I use low and middle income countries. I came here, I was at the American Public Health Association conference at the beginning of the week in Boston, and somebody came up to me and was like, well, none of my studies are included in what you're talking about. And I was like, I find that really weird. Like, how did that happen? My hospital, I didn't have to do this on the own. I have a research librarian that I was like, help me, do, help me do a literature search. And she sat with me. So I was like, how did that happen? Well, he does work in Africa through NIH. Um, but his were all tagged Africa. And leadership never appeared in his descriptions. And I was like, well, for the record, that's why my study didn't pull them. But it made me realize... I use low- and middle-income countries as the, as the search criteria. So if you haven't tagged that, like when you're doing yours, if you just said Cambodia or if you just said Malawi or if you just said Haiti or even generically South America or Central America, they might not have gotten pulled into my study. Um, and I, I speak some French, but not enough to read a journal article, so everything had to be in English, and that does cut out a lot of articles that could be published. So what are we going to do about this? This is not research-based. When you try to find out what you're going to do about it, there's no research out there. This is the Liz Daly thoughts of what we should do next, and I hope we have time to have some discussion because you guys probably have great ideas also. Um, so how are we going to empower the frontline nurses to be able to grow leadership skills? I think the first thing is if you are working with them, if, you're, if you have a partner agency, you need to get the nurses inv literally invited to the table, right? There's a meeting going on. There should be a nurse there representing whatever section they are talking about. And at first, those nurses probably won't want to say anything because they are not used to that. But even just having them present, having everybody in the room seeing that you are including nursing in this discussion is an important first step. Um, developing ways either formal or informal ways for them to develop leadership opportunities. Everybody in the world is going to tell you that they're too busy, that they don't have enough time to read a book, that they don't have enough time to do, you know, a, a course online. That's a universal thing. We, nobody has enough time. But you will find some people that are interested in it, right? If you ask an entire unit of nurses, you will find some people that are interested in reading a book or reading an article or watching a YouTube video on leadership styles and learning about leadership. So 
have those opportunities available for the people that can take advantage of them, knowing that it is not going to be everybody. You can't have a full unit of all leaders anyways. That just doesn't work. Then mentoring and coaching. One-on-one, if you can, with you know, people with nurses, talking to them, what do you see as a problem in your unit? How do you think we could fix that? Can I help you find some evidence-based methods that will back up what you want to do? Because I will argue that if a nurse wants to bring something forward, if they can say, this is what the evidence shows, this is the studies that have been done, and this is what the evidence shows, this is why we need to get running water in our unit. This is what this, the research shows. They will be better off than if they just say, I think we need running water in our unit because our hands get sticky when we change a diaper, right? Like if you can show the evidence behind it, you have a better chance of pushing your agenda forward. But they're going to need help because they don't have access to a lot of the you know, they don't have access to databases. Um, a lot of hospitals don't have internet available or computers available in their hospital. So they're going to need help even thinking of, like, what do I, what do I, this is a problem, but what do I need to show anybody? What do I even look for in this? So some one-on-one -on -one mentoring with people. And then leading by example, uh, I think everybody in here pretty much said that they were nurses, but I would say the way you treat other nurses, if you go someplace, the way you treat other nurses is really important. They pay attention to that. Um, they are watching what you do because wherever you have ended up, you are there because you are, because you are some sort of leader. Like you are there because somebody needed you to come in and do something, and therefore you're a leader, and they're going to be watching how you treat other nurses. And I tell physicians that I travel with the exact same thing. And so you should feel comfortable doing this too. I'm empowering you. Your physicians that travel with you need to treat nurses well. They might not like you at home. They might not, you might've made a mistake, but they need to treat you with respect and they need to treat the local nurses with respect because the local physicians and medical staff are watching how the traveling physicians treat people, and they're going to copy that. So if your physicians empower the local nurses and listen to them, then that shows everybody on the team that that's a voice worth listening to. And so at my hospital, we have what's called nurse-led rounds. It's fairly standard, um, which is for – it's fairly standard for us um, – which means that like, the nurse presents on rounds, not the fellow, not the resident. The, we present what's happened over the past. The night shift fills out a sheet. I talk about it when we round in the morning. When we do mission trips, we actually bring that with us. And for the first couple of days, we show them what we're doing. Like, this is how we do it. And then on day three, I'm like, here's the piece of paper. It's your turn. You read this information. When the doctor says, what were their vital signs overnight? You tell them what their vital signs were. And it's really a way of letting everybody know that like, the nurses are the ones there at the bedside. They do know what's going on with these patients. Um, so that's a good thing. And then giving them the confidence to use their voice. So sort of looping back to the first one of inviting them to the table, then letting them sit there, see how the system works, and then really making sure that they have the opportunity to talk and say their thoughts. So oftentimes that means calling people out by name. So the discussion's going on, and it's been dominated by whatever, and you say, and what do you think, Sally? Sally, do you have any thoughts on this process? Do you see any, you know, do you see any problems with what we've talked about? Oftentimes, they're not ready to talk right away. They'll just be like, yeah, it's fine. 
But then you can work with them later on and be like, okay, you said, yeah, it's fine, but I'm seeing in your face that you actually really think this is the stupidest idea you've ever heard of. So, like, how can we, how can we brainstorm together that next time you can say, maybe not this is the stupidest idea I've ever heard of, but, like, I see a problem with this in that whatever. Um, so just really empowering them to give their voices. And then this is a beautiful sunset over Malawi. And I'm using this because as the sun sets, it means the next day is coming and we can always do a little bit better the next day. So even further, what would be the next steps? We need to find some ways to share our information. What works for us? What doesn't work for us? We all learn from our mistakes. It's even better, no offense, when you can learn from somebody else's mistake so you don't have to do the same mistake and learn it. Um, publish your ideas or help them publish their ideas. You know, they're not going to have the infrastructure to do, um, to get approval for some researches, but maybe the, your hospital can partner with their hospital so you can get IRB approval through your own institution for work that they're doing. A lot of their studies won't be at that level at, at this point, but ways that you can work to get globally their voices heard more. Um, and then in public health, we talk a lot about adopt and adapt, right? So that's the great part of sharing things is that I don't need to use exactly what you use. You certainly don't need to use what I use. But maybe there's some shared information there that, we c that will work for, you know, if I take this for, that you did in Kenya where I've never been, how will that work at the hospital that I go to in Malawi? Like, will they, what will they think is great and what will they roll their eyes at? So how can we tailor these programs? Um, the research shows we have the opportunity to bridge the healthcare gap, to increase patient safety, and to de decrease mortality. I would actually argue we have the responsibility to do this, right? We're all God's children. We're while the Florence Nightingale might not be what's driving us, we are here to care for each other. And if we have ways to do that, it's really our responsibility to, to work towards that. This is my contact information. If you scan that, hopefully it will take you to the tables, so the references for the talk, the references for the original paper, and all of the tables from the paper. Um, and then I would love to open it up to questions or even better yet, discussions. If you've done something somewhere, this is a perfect opportunity for sharing information. Or sitting in silence. No. You wanna you why don't you share what your your project? That's great. I'm very, I've never been to Kenya, and that's very good to hear.
uh, in, in, in um, doing all of that, I retired. And I've been retired and got bored. And uh, so <laughs> nurses would come up to me at conferences like this and say, where can I serve? And I was at a loss. I didn't know what to tell them. So um, I found out where they could serve. And many of these organizations are here. I just want to introduce you to it. My manual that you can download free from my um, donor manager. <laughs> That's the wrong name. From my um, uh, website. And, uh, but it, it, it will give you all the hospitals that I have. I have 37 uh, hospi hospital or health centers that want nurses today and 15 Sunday agencies, and all of these pretty much are here uh, at the conference. But then this, this uh, will tell you what type of hospital, what type of nurse, student nurses, yes or no, and then um, a general nurse, community, nurse educator, nurse practitioner. Anyway, this is, this is a survey form that all the hospitals filled out, and this is what they're saying they want. So then when you find your place that fits you, then you just go to that country, and, um, and, and then I have a page uh, for that particular hospital, and what they want you to give an overview, and what your opportunities are there, who to contact, how long they want you there, long, short, whatever, and uh, so I, I hope that, uh, that we can help fill these vacancies. Uh, so this <laughs> I updated last year, uh, and so if you would like to have my uh, QR code, and if it doesn't, if for some reason you can't get it, just send me an email. My email is here, and I will send it to you by attachment. So I hope we can fill these vacancies. That's it. Yeah. I have a question for you. Um, Absolutely. I haven't been thinking about this a ton. I'm a nurse practitioner in training, and I've been out of work for a couple of years. But I'm thinking about reentering. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it would be, you know, as a nurse practitioner, and there's another opportunity as a medical director. But as I'm thinking about these uh, these problems that you're stating, like I'm thinking about one of my experiences been on the building Cambodia, um, and I just don't even think we we made the time. Like we had nurses that were working alongside us to really even have these kinds of or even certainly if it involves patient care, we were talking to the nurses uh, about this. But I, I guess, I don't know, how do you kind of move into that where you're, I mean, it almost seems like more of a kind of a bigger system issue, right? Because I was in Campo and I just like got this narrow vision of like, I need to do my role, you know, <laughs> like it well. Right. So I'm going to repeat that question a little bit because this is being recorded. So you can correct me if I'm wrong too. But the question was, like, how do you, how do you make the time for this? Because a lot of times when you're a nurse working in another place, you're actually, you're doing nursing care side by side with another nurse or nurse practitioner doing work side by side with people. Is that basically? So I think part of it is just having it in your mind. Um, obviously patient care has to come first because you're not going to do that. But I feel like there's a lot of times that there is some downtime when you can talk with nurses um, and that you can talk with them about what, like, what, what do they do when they see a problem? Or, um, so on one of my last trips, we were talking about 
um, line access issues, right? Nobody wants a, a line infection. And we were talking about line infections. And they said, well, we know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to scrub it with alcohol for 30 seconds, but we never have the alcohol pads here. And the hospital completely said, oh, no, they have, they have access to the alcohol pads. Um, just nobody ever goes to pick them up. And so it was just very interesting because there was a lot of finger pointing going on. But so sitting and talking with the nurses about, well, what was the, like, what was the, the hospital says that you have access to it. And then the nurses just listed for us the problems with, well, they say that we have access, but somebody actually has to leave the floor to go over and get them. And actually it's open, you know, for 45 minutes a day that you can go get supplies. And they only let you take so many, even though we have this many patients. So working with them on really defining the issues, and then we had them write down that list of problems um, of what they were facing. But it does take time, and especially if you're on a on a short-term medical care-based trip, um, it, those can be really busy days to begin with. I think in in those times, some of the best things that you can do is um, the modeling of really respecting nurses, because I am really happy to hear that in Kenya, the nurses run the show, but that has not been true in any of the countries I've been to, so apparently I'm going to the wrong countries. But <laughs> but it's, it's, I'm really happy to know that in some places that is very true. Okay. Um, I'm glad to I'm glad to know that that is that is true. Um, I think just having some discussions with with nurses about um, the problems that they see, and then even giving them if you have time ahead of time, like now that you are thinking about it, maybe find a good leadership, you know, YouTube or a leadership. Um, something on the internet that maybe they could access with a smartphone or I don't know. I use a ton of data when I'm on these trips because I'm always showing them things on my phone so that they don't need to use their data. Oh, here, you can watch this video. Now language is an issue, right? Because I go to a lot of countries where they do not speak English. So you're doing this through translators, which takes even longer. And sometimes it's not translated specifically well, but I do think also the internet, if you give them, (laughs) you give them your phone, they can find things in their own language through the internet, um, and it's still not using their data. But that's me, and I, I have an unlimited plan just for that reason. So um, I have never had a bad problem with, with, I mean, I don't let them take my phone home with them. Um, so I don't know. But it is, it, it is difficult. I think just thinking about it as you're doing your pre-trip planning and being like, where, where might I find these moments to help? Uh-huh. Right, so the question was, um, culturally, is it something that a lot of countries are open to, or and is it something that people are focusing on? So I think it really is going to depend not only on the country, but on the institution and how much Western European help they may be getting. Um, I think it's going to be very, very... Uh, very variable between institutions. Um, I think it's also really hard on a one or two week, like go in, do patient care, and leave trip. We always include that. The groups that I've gone with, we always include some sort of nurse leadership or nurse empowerment in our, like, after report. But to be honest, 
sometimes I think those are taken very seriously, and sometimes I'm not sure anybody ever really looks at them. I think if you have long-term partnerships, so when I was working in Haiti, we went down quarterly for a week. So that gives you a much better opportunity. I was able to work with the nurses there, and at first they would barely talk to me, um, and everything was fine. Like They're like, no, it's fine, no, it's fine. And then that, like, like, that's where the water came by. Like They're like, well, you know, the administration says they can't do anything that, that we don't have sinks that work. And I was like, okay, but like, how, how are we going to get this fixed? Because, you, because this is actually not okay. Like that You don't have running water in your neonatal, what they call their neonatal ICU, which was not, but like your neonatal area doesn't have running water. And they did have water there, and they would pour it over their hands. Like it wasn't a horrible method. They had soap. You could wash your hands, and then you would reach into the bucket and pour water over your hands into the sink that did drain, but just didn't actually have water on it. But so they were like, well, nobody cares that it doesn't work. Like, administration doesn't care. But so, like, that's where we were able to come back, you know, the next time with some WHO guidelines and and say – and actually the nice thing about Haiti is that – in Boston, there's a large Haitian population, so if you go to the boss, if you go to the Massachusetts Public Health, they actually have a lot of things in Creole already, so you don't need to translate things, which is great. Um, but so I think you know it's harder in short-term trips. It's easier if you have some partnership. Either you're there for a longer time, which is really hard for me. I can't go for super long times, but if you go back to the same place then the nurses started talking to me about, like, well, I think this is a problem. And that was really great to hear that they were, like, thinking of, of issues. Yeah. Anybody else? Best practices for developing these leader things? No, I have not found anything. I mean, the the Nursing Now guidelines, Nursing Now was a three-year program started in 2018, and it was a UK project to really empower nurses. And I feel badly because I think COVID hit their project really hard, and I think, but it got, it has been, taken over by the International Council of Nurses. And so those guidelines are a good place to start. But they are they're hard. They're a good place to start. What I would say is if you look at those guidelines, you can pick and choose what you think might work um, because it's really more on developing like a nursing leadership program for a hospital, not for you on a two-week trip to empower the nurses that you're working with. And to be clear, I, I, I would be a more of a community uh, clinic. Same thing. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like no matter what location, like hospital, like healthcare-wise, no matter what location you're in, um, really working with them to identify the problems and find some evidence base when possible and then be able to actually get to the point that they can speak up in meetings and committees and really do the change. So I'm not as familiar with, um, I mean, 
mean, clinics, I, I, I've, we, a lot of the hospitals have clinics, but like the, the more uh, rural care and community health workers, I'm not as familiar with, so I can't say that it would be the same, but I would think that it, a lot of it sort of applies. It's all volunteer? It is. The ministry does not pay them. They expect volunteerism. So um, my movement is with the community health workers. And so this is very inspiring for bring it to a level of just community health workers, that they're the ones that are carrying the, the nation in healthcare right now. Wow, I did not realize that they would be volunteers. Yeah, community health workers, I think, are... Right, are amazing because they are tasked with caring for, right, here in the U.S., like, you get really specific in what you deal with. So they care for everything. Um, They have no supplies or limited supplies. And their training is, is minimal, but I feel like when they've been doing it for a while, they actually get very good at, like, they they recognize what's going on and, you know, hopefully they recognize, or they usually recognize, and then can hopefully get people to further care when needed. But yeah, I did not realize that they were volunteers, and that's that's impressive. But yeah, they sort of already are leaders in their town. But um, but yeah, getting them to be able to lead, be leaders so that maybe like they get paid. <laughs> And it's always going to be little by little. Like change, very rarely does fast change actually stick, right? Because unless you have the power to say this is 100% what we need to do now, it, it just doesn't really stick. So it has to come because people want it. All right. It's 3.30. Tea time. <laughs> we have one more session and then a plenary, right? Thank you guys all for coming.